0: Geek, and we are here to let the podcast do the talking. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my main man right there, Chris Sinzak. What's going on, my brother?
1: Not much. What's happening?
0: Oh, man. Well, we uh, as we put on the Facebook, we attempted to record an episode <laughs> at a convention where we're going to ask people what they bought, but that didn't really work out. Yeah. So we came back with a different idea, and that's why we're doing what we're doing today.
1: Yeah, we haven't done a, a, an episode on a single band in a while, and and we like doing these top five sh- And they're not, you know, preface this, but they're not exactly top five in order, but these are probably my five favorite songs of the era we're yes, talking about. Yes, mine
0: too. I don't know if I'd put them in any particular order, but we're just going to go top to bottom. We're going to start at the beginning of the 80s and roll right on up to the edge of the 90s, and we're going to cover everything Aerosmith in between. Yeah. So it should be a lot of fun. So before we get to all that, you know us, we're going to do it taking care of that business and what's our business you know that too it's apple podcast reviews we like pod chaser reviews and we like facebook recommendations let's see what do we got today we
1: got one of those oh we
0: got one okay (laughs) well one's better than none yeah it's all five stars we'll definitely take that it's entitled keeping rock alive goes a little something like this i'm a kid again listening to babylon ad and dangerous toys while playing dungeons and dragons in my friend's basement there's plenty of great nostalgia here but also plenty of opportunity to be turned on to something new. Thanks, guys. And again, that comes to us from Strange Dunn right here in the United States. Love it. That's great. I'm glad to see reviews like that because it shows that there's so many people out there that are like-minded as we are when it comes to this kind of stuff.
1: Did you play D&D?
0: You know, I played one time with Mm -hmm. my friends. I had friends that played D&D, and it always looked so cool. And I loved the artwork and the books, you know, Mm -hmm. and it sounded like so much fun. And then one time I said, okay, okay, I'll play it with you. And so I sat down, and we did all this work creating a character for myself. And it was so much fun to create this dude, you know. And then we get in, and I open up a treasure box, and something comes out and kills me. And you're like, never again. Yeah, so I spent all yeah. this time building this guy, and that's what I said. You're telling me we spent these hours to make this guy, for me to walk in and open a treasure chest and die? And that's yeah. the end of my campaign? You guys get to keep playing, and I'm out? Yeah. get this.
1: My brother was really big into it, him and his friends would play it, and I'd always mock the shit out of them for it. I was yeah. a younger brother, but I would <laughs> mock the shit out of them for it. <laughs> i <laughs> like I'd be like, when are the girls gonna come? Oh, never mind. No, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was an asshole.
0: That's funny. But yeah, I always loved the imagery. I always loved the artwork involved in Dungeons and Dragons, and it was created in Wisconsin. So there's that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh.
1: but yeah, that's a cool review. I think that's the first Dungeons and Dragons reference we've ever had in a review. So I like that.
0: Other than talking about Dio lyrics.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah, that's Dungeons & Dragons metal.
0: That's right. I like that, too.
1: Awesome. So our other favorite people, the Geeks of the Week, these are the people that shared on Facebook or retweeted on Twitter, last week's Fresh Blood episode.
0: It's always good to bring the fresh blood because we like to prove that rock and roll is alive and well in the modern day.
1: And we had a lot of great feedback on that. So uh, we really appreciate it that you guys like those bands and make sure you go out and buy some stuff from those bands and you know like their Facebook page, follow them on social media, go to a concert, get a T-shirt, all that good stuff. Yes. Because... Uh, that's the only way they're going to make it these days.
0: Go to their Facebook pages and like them and tell them you heard it on Decimal Geek. And like Chris said, go pick up the album. Yeah. You know, whether you're doing it on Amazon, iTunes, whatever, you know, Apple Music, whatever it is nowadays. Getting the hard copies just like me. Oh, man, I got three brand new albums sitting right here on the table next to me that came out in 2019. Not only am I enjoying the music, I'm feeling good about doing my part to keep these bands alive.
1: Yep. All right, Geeks of the Week this week, are Eric Luzier- Darren Parkin, Ray Coon, Tom Cullen, Joseph Capone, Christopher Stokes, Scott Crouch, James Nicholson, Andrew Jacobs – Dave Shirt, James West, Thorbjorn Olson, Ken J West, Brian Knapp, Shea Harget, Kristen Christian Schimbeck, yes. Mike Parnell, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Adam Cox. I remembered you this time. <laughs> and you, Mighty K. Shane Abear, Simon Cat, Mikael Burrell, Alan Tate, David Glenn, Warren Edward LaRue Baker, The Bakery Podcast, Aaron Baker. It's a whole lot of bakers. Trevor McDougall, CGCM Podcast, Rob Harris, Jeff Taylor, Jay Shabluski, JJ Mack, Bill Elam, Jeff Mendenhall, Eladio, Vet, Halen, Alan, Deshawn, and as always, The, the Mooger Fooger.
0: That's right. I always got to double check now and make sure you got mighty K's name in there.
1: I know she's going to
0: look and say, if it's not there, I'm sure she shared it.
1: it we're we're going to hear about it. If it's not,
0: there.
1: <laughs> she's going to be like the mooger Fuger, Even if she doesn't share it, I'm going to put a right, name on
0: yeah. there. Well, you know, if you're not getting your name read and you're sharing these episodes, contact Chris Sinzak at decibel geek. <laughs> oh, thanks.
1: Appreciate the vote of confidence. There.
0: He's in charge of the geeks of the week. Yeah, <laughs> It's all me. Oh, man. Nice. So, you ready to go back in our time machine to 1980?
1: Yeah. So, what was Aerosmith up to in 1980?
0: Well, I think if we're talking about Aerosmith in the 80s, the thing to remember is in like a lamb and out like a lion.
1: That's pretty well stated.
0: When it comes to their success, the money they're making, the accolades, and all that good stuff, because by the end of the 70s... Aerosmith is in pretty rough shape. Mm.
2: You
0: know, they barely get through making the Night in the Ruts album.
1: My favorite record of theirs. Which
0: is a pretty damn great album. It's yeah. the angst, I think.
1: Yeah, a lot of drama in that on the making of that one.
0: The band's just not what they were before. I mean, in the seventies, Aerosmith ruled the world. I mean, they were one of the top rock bands throughout the entire decade. But just like a lot of the bands of the seventies, come the end of the seventies and into the eighties is a tough transition, and Aerosmith's no different.
1: Yeah, I mean, in nineteen eighty, Steven Tyler at one point, you know, passed out on stage from uh, from his drug use, and like his drug drug dependency had kind of reached its all time high. And and Perry was out of the band by this point, right? Because yeah, because he had left the band by that point,
0: right? Because in nineteen seventy nine, they did the. Super Bowl of Rock show in Cleveland. It
1: was World Series. Was it World Series? Yeah, World okay. Series of Rock.
0: And uh, it was the legend that the wives were fighting backstage. And Stephen and Joe. Stephen? Well, no, it was uh, Tom Hamilton and Joe Perry's wife. I don't
1: think I know this story.
0: They got into a huge fight backstage, and uh, Joe Perry's wife throws milk on Hamilton's wife, mm. and it gets into a screaming, throwing shit freak out thing and then joe and steven weren't even there so they come walking in on it and they have no idea what's going on and they just said it was basically just kind of a taking what the band was at that point and tuning it down to a moment yeah and it was non-stop that all the time mm-hmm. you know so there's fighting there bickering and talking shit to each other and being stoned out of their gourds and yeah you know just Fucked up all the time. You know, they're aerosmithing, they do whatever they want to, and something was bound to give. Yeah. You know, and then there's a huge blow up in Cleveland, and Joe Perry says, Screw this, I'm out of here, mm. and goes on to form the Joe Perry Project.
1: Well, I remember, see, like, I, I read the Walk This Way book. I still have it, but it's, it's been a like great book. It's been probably close to 10 years since I've read it. Yeah, but, me too. But uh, that period of time, the conflict and drama between Perry and Tyler alone is strange. Like, it's right. it's higher... It's at an amplified level above other bands. And it's kind of a miracle that they're still doing it today because they... It's almost one of those things where they love each other so much they hate each other. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, I like, see that. I know some people even were theorizing that they were kind of in love with each other. Like, it's, it's a weird thing to think, but, like, they... Or they became just dependent upon each other.
0: For sure, you know when you've got a creative partner like that. I got to think, you know, it becomes like a need sort of thing. Yeah. Even in, and we're going to explore some of this coming up in this episode. But you know, to be apart, it hurt them both. Yeah, you know, you could tell hmm. because when they got back together, it was such a big deal for them to right. get back together. So, you know, you you got a creative partner like that, you're creating great things that people just love and then you split apart and you don't get that adoration as much you got to wonder you know are we really connected that way can we only create the magic together are we that codependent that even creatively and artistically we need each other too
1: well i think for that level, sure. I mean, I mean, there's good stuff on Joe Perry Project records, but oh yeah, definitely. Although we've heard Steven Tyler's solo record, not not so much.
0: Um, oh, the country one yeah, that came out, yeah. I didn't even listen to it. Yeah, I don't want to.
1: It doesn't doesn't work. to me. It doesn't work.
0: Well, thank goodness we don't have to talk about that today. Yeah, no, but um, but
1: yeah, so I you know he was. 80 was, you know, and yes, I am looking through Wikipedia, but I'm not going to read directly off of it. It looks like in fall of 80, Stephen Tyler had that, and I remember reading about this in the book, a uh, serious motorcycle accident.
0: Yeah, that puts him on yeah. his ass and puts Aerosmith on their ass yeah. for pretty much the entire year.
1: Yeah, so not a good start to the decade for them.
0: No, uh uh-uh. uh. So 1980, done. It's Nothing kind of a waste. to talk about. Yeah.
1: yeah. Then 81 comes around and they, uh, What's Left of Aerosmith goes in to the studio to reunite with Jack Douglas to work on what would become Rock in a Hard Place,
0: which, you know, I think is a pretty underrated album at the time and even now. Yeah. You know, there's some great songs on this album. I was putting these songs in some sort of order at first and I thought, man, it's so hard to put them in order, but I think this is easily my number one favorite Aerosmith song of this era mm-hmm. and it's the lead-off track off of Rock in a Hard Place. A Good hard rocking tune that just harkens back to what you love about the classic Aerosmith of the 70s. This is no different, so you're gonna love this. I love it a lot. It's a tune called Jailbait. Think about arrows, so yeah, right there.
1: I love that song. I Always have, um, but yeah, it's this album is unfairly, you know, criticized in my opinion. I've always liked it. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think it holds up well with with a lot of what they've done in the past. There's some stuff that. Kinda, I mean, it's got its weak moments for sure. I mean, the the, the uh, prelude to Joni and Joni's Butterflies, yeah. it's a little
0: odd. Nah, I don't care. For There's that.
1: pieces of Joni's Butterfly that are great, but that's one of those songs where that's a drug song because. They it, it goes on forever, and there's parts they should have just chopped out of it and made it into a into a song.
0: Maybe, maybe that. Could Instead, help they it.
1: were chopping other stuff. But yeah, and also, you know, Brad Whitford really is only on one track on this album, and, right? Because and, this is about yeah. that
0: time where he splits off to do Whitford Saint Holmes. So really, it's, which is awesome too.
1: And Rick Dufay didn't like join up until after the until they started touring. So it's really the Jimmy Crespo show for the guitar parts. Yeah. So he must have just done double duty on on the guitar parts. I don't so.
0: know too much about Jimmy Crespo. I know he was in a band called The Flame before yeah. Aerosmith, but I don't really know. A lot I pretty about much them just either.
1: know him for the Aerosmith years. Right, yeah. But um,
0: I mean, he was a hell of a fill in for uh, Joe Perry because this album's really pretty good. I mean, out of this whole <clears> thing, <throat> thing, I mean, there's. There's six really solid songs on the album I agree. for sure.
1: I wanted to pick one song off this record to go with, and uh, this one, this this song could have been comfortably on Toys in the Attic, in my opinion. I think it's got the same vibe and spirit, so which is a good tribute to uh, Jimmy Crespo for pulling it off. This is Bolivian Ragamuffin. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's another one of the songs I appreciate a lot off yeah. of that album.
1: Pretty energetic.
0: Yeah, yeah. I dig it. That's a yeah. good classic Aerosmith right there.
1: It's a cocaine tune.
0: I guess for me, I don't know, I like the weird parts sometimes, but mm-hmm. the early part of the 80s, Aerosmith to me, I like better than the later part. So I've actually got another song off of Rock in a Hard Place, which, like I said, there's six strong songs on here, and I could have went with any one of them. But this was the single. I mean, it didn't get much play. But it's a great song. This one's really cool. I dig it a lot. I, I love the riff. It's got that, mm, it's got something to it. I dig it a lot. A little different than what you're used to with Aerosmith, but it's a tune called Lightning Strikes.
1: Video is pretty funny. Have you seen the video uh before? Oh, they're all like, they've got like their hair slicked back and they're wearing leather jackets like the 50s greaser. Yeah. yeah. Look like they're in a gang and they've got like pipes and stuff that they're going to beat people up with. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a cheesy fucking video.
0: So that probably didn't help their case. No. People see that and go, Aerosmith looks like this
1: now. And Steven looked really bad, like super gaunt. Like he could tell it was like, it's similar to how Alice Cooper looked around the same time, where it's like, you know, okay, your diet consists of drugs and alcohol. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they just looked like he could blow away at any moment. Well, Um, I
0: think that was part of the problem with Joe Perry was when they were working on on Night in the Ruts, the whole album was done. Like, it was completely completed. And Steven Tyler couldn't come up with no words for it. mm -hmm. They couldn't place the vocals to it. And so... Joe Perry's like, well, what am I waiting on? That yeah. was a big part of the catalyst that made him leave. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, that's many years though in a row that we're up to almost eighty three, eighty four now, mm-hmm. and it's just been nonstop for Steven Tyler.
1: It's a miracle he lived through this period. Yeah, I'd say. And you know, at a show in Massachusetts, um, you know, him and Joe got. They reunited backstage and got high before the show. Yeah, that's funny. And then Steven collapses on stage and couldn't couldn't get up.
0: But that was where the good feelings started again. Where it kind of planted the seeds for Aerosmith to reunite. And that's funny though, you know. So they can't get along. They can't get along unless they're doing drugs together. Yeah, then Then they get along great. As long as the wives aren't around and we've got some drugs, we can be best friends. Well,
1: and they were. You know, and now night starting with Night in the Ruts, but also on this tour, you know, they're playing like little theaters and some yeah. club shows. Yeah, it's
0: not the same.
1: It's like, they're not doing well at all. Well,
0: and then Aerosmith has got to be looking at it as, wow, you know, Joe Perry really did mean that much to this band. Brad Whitford, the the whole, you know. And yeah,
1: he's th- off doing Whitford St. Holmes
0: at that point. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, to go from what they were in the 70s to playing clubs and shit and barely being able to fill those. It's a big fall from grace. Whew, man, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, Kiss didn't even play clubs. When they got they had, close. They got close. <laughs> they,
1: they probably didn't. should have been cl- yeah, playing they probably clubs. probably I think it was Pride that kept them from doing it. Yeah. But Aerosmith was was pretty much DOA at that point. Right? For sure. It, it's you know I didn't get into Aerosmith until. Right before permanent vacation, I got into him through the stupid video with Run DMC. Yeah, I mean that, which is <laughs> the way up. a lot of people my age got into him at that yeah, point. But that was, um that
0: was the introduction for sure.
1: But yeah, so I had no idea about any of this stuff until much much later after the fact. So like you know, like our people that remember this period of time, like you know Ralph from Rock and Metal Combat, you know they talk about seeing them at this point and what. Still great on some songs, but at the same time, like you never knew what was going to happen from moment to moment. Right. And, as soon as Steven Tyler yeah. hits
0: the floor, it's over. Yeah, it's
1: like he and he was just a mess through the whole period. But yeah, it's crazy that he didn't D during this time. I mean, it must have been awful. And the whole band, I guess, wasn't getting along at this point either.
0: No, and it's just like same old thing. You know, when you're riding high, everybody can tolerate each other. When times are tough, it's like, what am I doing here? Yeah. And it's not like the Joe Perry project was playing stadiums either.
1: No, so no, they were playing even smaller places. Right? You know,
0: so to get together and do a little toot and reminisce on old times, that's going to lead to some good things. That's going to lead to "Done with Mirrors."
1: Yeah, that's a 1984. It's
0: probably it was, one of the well, best Aerosmith albums that nobody ever talks about.
1: Yeah, in 84, Joe saw Aerosmith perform at the Orpheum in Boston.
0: I think it said him and Whitford. Were, uh, yeah, him and Whitford were there together. They both went. To see oh, him, were they? And they all got back together backstage.
1: And I guess it was inevitable that it was going to happen. They, they all kind of needed each other because, well, like, clearly, I mean, Whitford St. Holmes is great too, but uh, that wasn't selling tons of copies either.
0: No. Uh-uh.
1: So they did the Back in the Saddle tour to give it a shot again to see yeah. how the chemistry. This is before done with mirrors. It was well attended, but a lot of incidents, a lot of drug use. Yeah. You know, drug use still was an issue. Geffen Records took a shot at them and gave them and gave a contract.
0: And I think that at this point, they're starting to get back up there again. They're out of the clubs, and now they're playing a little bit bigger venues. They're gathering more of a crowd again now.
1: Yeah. And then in 85, they put Done With Mirrors out. It did get some positive reviews, but at the same time, they were. it was funny. They were getting trashed by a lot of critics for sounding too much like Aerosmith.
0: And that sucks. Yeah, I read some of those reviews when I was looking at this, thinking... Well, what do you want them to sound like? It's a freaking awesome album. It really is. It's one of my favorites. You know, It's one of my favorites out of the whole entire catalog. There's not a single song on this album that I don't like. I don't remember liking
1: it as much as I do now. Like I, I don't yeah. know that I gave it as not, as much attention as it should have gotten back when I was because re- they're yeah we all but all real young yeah you know? yeah I mean like when I got into Aerosmith it, it just got kind of overlooked but I've tried listening to it over the years and it never really stuck but I really. You know, took a good run through it today, and I was like, "Damn, this album's actually really good. It's really good. The production's not super great on it, um, and that's Tom Werman's doing. Which Tom Werman always seems to have big. You know, this one wasn't a hit, but he'd have big hit albums with bands like Molly Crew, Cheap Trick, and but there's always something just a little off with the production for rock fans, I guess. Yeah, like it's it's almost like a little bit too tinny sounding like there's not a lot of balls to some of the stuff he does yeah he I did um that. open up and say "I'm about for poison right yeah. and that sounds that a little too sterile compared to look what the cat dragged In." true yeah. you know it doesn't have the punch punch is the right word it's lacking punch
0: it's too bad but there's good there's good songs on this record really good songs i, I picked two of them off here this one's another too. one that's oh man this might be I could say that for any one of these, but this might be my favorite song from this era. This song has got such an awesome groove to it, and crank this one up, kick back, enjoy. This one's called Darkness.
1: Song I know it's kind of way different. Yeah, but it's
0: so cool.
1: They kind of they veer off in different directions in that yeah. song, but I, that's what I like about
0: it, though. I like it a lot too. Yeah, I always think about you know. like remember that time we did the Kiss "What If" episode. Yeah, what if "Done with Mirrors" would have been the big comeback album instead of the one that's coming next? What if this was the one that would have brought Aerosmith back up? What kind of a ripple effect would that have on the rest of rock and roll? Because you look at what – and we're, we're going to cover it too. We're going to yeah. cover Pump, and we're also going to talk about uh, Permanent, Permanent Vacation, Vacation which yeah. are totally different yeah. than this album. Yeah. When Permanent Vacation comes out and it's huge, mm-hmm. that changes the whole projectile. Yeah, because a lot of people play Follow the Leader. A lot of bands right. tried
1: to do what they did.
0: Yes. Yeah. But if this album would have been the huge one, it would have changed the entire history of rock and roll music.
1: It would have had an effect because, I mean, you would have had, well, as we'll get into it, you know, once Permanent Vacation hit and then pump. I mean, they went for a way more commercial sound. You bring on a lot more co-songwriters. Yes,
0: this was the last album with no co-writes. Yeah, this is all Aerosmith. This is the band. This is them. That's what I like about it.
1: So, yeah, and co-writes became... The standard at yeah. that point, you know, so just like with Motley Crue, Aerosmith and Motley Crue, I'd say, were probably the two most trailblazing bands of the 80s for, for rock music.
0: Right. And yeah. they were right along the same wavelength all the way through. Yeah.
1: And like everybody played Follow the Leader with whatever they did. That's what everybody wanted yeah. to do. Bon Jovi, too, of course. You for have to sure. give them credit. But uh yeah, it could have been a lot different. But yeah, I mean, you picked that one. It's funny. I don't think Done With Mirrors is my favorite album of this period. I think, honestly, Rockin' A Hard Place is my favorite album as a whole.
0: Really? but See, I'll take this one as a whole over any
1: I like the them others. both, but it's funny, though. Rockin' A Hard Place is the one I would listen to from start to finish first, but I picked two off Done With Mirrors and two off Pump, so I don't know what the hell I'm doing.
0: I don't know either. It's weird, isn't it? Um, I'm okay with it because I love this album. The more we play off it, the better. So
1: for my first pick for this one... Uh, this song is, is unique, too, and this is one where they, they kind of actually do sound a little bit like they're – it sounds more like an 80s song, but they pull it off, and it's it's an underrated gem in this catalog, and it's a song called The Reason a Dog.
0: It's It's a whole album, I'm telling you It's a great song Everybody do yourselves a favor If you don't know this one If you're not familiar with the album Done With Mirrors Get out there and get yourself a copy of it I promise there's not a bad song on it Here's Proof This is our third one in a row off that album This is another one I love This one actually transcends all eras of Aerosmith for me Because this is one of my favorite songs by them of all time This is a tune called My Fist, Your Face kick somebody's ass too. Yeah. I like, I like that it. one. Ruthless Aggression. Yeah. From Aerosmith.
1: Great song. I almost picked um was it Shame on You?
0: That's a great song too.
1: I almost picked that again cuz that has the old school vibe to it. Sounds yeah. like sounds like something from out of the 70s. But um I do like that one. But uh, this is the this like song Sheila Gypsy
0: Boots she's on fire the hop. It's all good.
1: Gypsy Boots has like, an amazing uh lead part on it. Yeah. Um
0: all this this whole album is yeah. killer. By doing this, it reintroduced me to how much I love this album. Because out of all four of these albums, I haven't really gone back to these in quite a while. And that was when you brought it up, I thought, oh man, I got to listen to Pumped. Oh man, I got to listen to (laughs) Permanent Vacation. And what about Done with Mirrors? I know that's pretty good. I'm going to listen to that. And I was like, man, I forgot how good this is. Yeah. Yeah. So out of all these albums as a whole, if I had to only choose one, I would definitely go with Done with Mirrors.
1: It's a lot better than I remember. Like I said, it's it's one of those where I didn't think I was going to pick, but maybe one. But uh, and this is the one that I'm going to play next. This one, when I think of favorite Aerosmith songs of the '80s, this one probably came to mind first. And it's not really an Aerosmith song; it's actually a Joe Perry project song because it was initially on his first record. But uh, I I will take the Aerosmith version over that version any day. Because give me Tyler Tyler's vocals and his altered lyrics, and uh, I'll do this one. This is "Let the Music Do the Talking."
0: Originally written for Aerosmith, that one I, I think you know, when Joe Perry left, he's like, "Well, I'm taking this shit with me."
1: And I think that one, you know, I know it was released as a single, but it's one of those where it probably it was the right choice for a single, even though it didn't do that great. I think it could have been a hit. It was it's catchy enough, but just the probably not the right time for that.
0: Yeah, around that time, Joe Perry said in a Rolling Stone interview, "I know everybody's going to ask if we got back together for the money." And of course we did. (laughs) No, it's fun to have the money come in, but the reason is definitely the pleasure we get from playing together again. Yeah. And I mean all the things I read about, you know, from that era it seemed pretty legit. You know, they were all really happy to be back together. They were really happy to be out of the clubs. Yeah. But it's only gonna keep going up. The roller coaster is on its way. But there's one thing standing in the way of Aerosmith reaching the full potential of success Mm. to become once again one of the biggest bands in rock and we talked about it this whole episode so far and it's lots and lots of drugs yeah and it's all fucking things up for them and getting in the way of them reclaiming their thrones yeah so they go through some big changes
1: well before they go through those changes though they
0: they're still on drugs
1: when they go back on the radar
0: right for sure yeah
1: because of the 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 uh, collaboration with Run DMC.
0: Oh, yeah. You can't forget about that.
1: 1986. It was just Tyler and Perry appearing on the track. But Run DMC were doing, I think it was maybe their producer that that brought it to them, the song to their attention, because they didn't know Walk This Way by Aerosmith. They didn't know it. And they thought the lyrics were fucking ridiculous. Yeah. You know, they they thought it was stupid. And they actually were insulted by it. And they were like, we're not going to do this damn song. Honestly, though, if you think about Walk but This thought, Way, it's but one I of I thought
0: Run DMC had been using that for a long time as something that they had been doing no. in their shows.
1: Mm-mm. Huh. No, they were in the studio when I think it was their producer so or their manager said, to to do, something said do something with this, and Errol they heard Smith the lyrics really and they were horror they were horrified by it. They were like, "What the fuck is this?"
0: So was that something like do Aerosmith a favor and help them out with this, or this is the idea behind this it? It might have been help Aerosmith. I don't Smith? know.
1: Maybe it was Rick Rubin or somebody. It was somebody that oh, brought. Well, it the, was Rick Rubin. Was it Rick for Rubin? Sure, yeah. So he brought the song to their attention, and he must have just heard it in his head going, you know, th- because I mean, if you listen to Walk This Way, it is a rap song. Yeah. I mean the way Steven does the lyrics it's a right. rap song yeah, it's delivered in that way. So I can see why Rick Rubin would be like, "Oh, we could actually have a rap group do this song and see, and it would work." And but the Run-DMC did not want to do it. They thought it was oh, stupid.
0: Wow, I did not know that.
1: But then when they all got in the studio together and they started to do it, they're like, "Wow, this actually sounds really cool." So that's how it worked out, but I think I remember seeing Steven Tyler do an interview saying like he was in the studio with them and he would run out every ten minutes to go like do more Coke or heroin right. or whatever. Like he was that bad off at the Golly. time.
0: I mean that's really the kickoff right there because that gets Aerosmith back on M T V. Yeah. You know, gets the video in regular rotation.
1: Number four on the hot one hundred
0: helps rap in a huge way oh, it, because it yeah, introduces huge. rap to a whole new audience of, of listeners and music buyers and it puts Aerosmith right back on everybody's radar. So now Aerosmith is officially back. I was amazed
1: by it when I was a kid. Yeah. Like when the because the, the MTV played the hell out of that video.
0: Yeah, they did. And
1: I remember watching Cause it. Cuz again,
0: I mean it's it's in MTV's best interest to branch out and this rap is starting to become pretty popular, so yeah. you better embrace it. And really what better way to introduce it to suburban America than through a band everybody already knows. Right through a track that actually sounds pretty good mixed together
1: yeah like I said it's the way the way it's delivered on the original version it's it's like a rap song already, so and it
0: was perfect it was that yeah,
1: and yeah. Rick Rick Rubin's a genius for for coming up with that idea, yeah. but uh
0: what if you'd have done it with kiss? I got no response for that, <laughs> although I guess so many what ifs
1: although I guess kiss did the rap rock thing with uh all, Hills all breaking hells and loose. And loose
0: yeah, that's the one what if you'd have brought all hells breaking loose to him instead
1: who knows. What could have been Steven Tyler is not the breeze, but yeah, so so that I remember seeing that video for the first time, and that was my introduction to Aerosmith. Yeah, I was, I was seeing that video,
0: I guess I would have been mine too, but I think around that same time, I also discovered the cassette tape of Aerosmith's greatest hits.
1: But if you remember when the video came out, if you didn't know who Aerosmith was, you still didn't know because it didn't say run DMC featuring Aerosmith. No, no, it just said run DMC because I remember. Being a kid watching that video, and that video was on almost every hour,
0: so then wondering that,
1: who the hell the band
0: was. And then in that respect, it was a calculated move to elevate rap yeah. and not Aerosmith.
1: Yeah, it wasn't listed with, with Aerosmith's have, name. if it
0: was to help elevate Aerosmith, then their name would have definitely been Their name on was there. not on there. So I remember, that was to help yeah, bring rap to the masses. Sure. Wow, and it worked.
1: Because I remember wondering who the rock band was and watching the video. And then when I saw the video for Dude Looks Like a Lady... I'm like, holy shit, that's the band that was on that rap video.
0: Aerosmith. Yeah. Huh.
1: That's how I figured out who it was. Wow. I didn't have any – mag. I wasn't buying rock magazines at that point. Yeah? So yeah, this is ver- literally right at the very beginning of me becoming a rock and roll fan. That's wild. was when that video came out.
0: It could have went either way. Well, it was that video – You're talking about Tupac right oh, now. Oh,
1: boy. But yeah, it was that video and um, – Come on, feel the noise by our Quiet Riot, yeah. stuff like that. That writer, uh, We're not going to take it by Twisted Sister.
0: Interesting you should bring up Quiet Riot. Right about this time, Joe Perry's quoted as saying, the Quiet Riots and all those guys with the leather and the studs and the stacks of Marshall amps that aren't even turned on better watch out. We are the band your mother warned you about.
1: <laughs> wow. Well.
0: So they're back to take over. Well,
1: they took over right after
0: that. They kind of figured they paved the way.
1: So well, we'll get. I'll let you start talking about uh, permanent vacation because they get cleaned up,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. So they go through all their problems, and their manager comes to them and says, you know, if you guys would just stop doing drugs by 1990, I could have you as the biggest band in the world. Mm-hmm. And somehow through the miracle of science, they were able to clean up Aerosmith.
1: Hard to believe.
0: That is the modern world we're living in. Yeah. If the human race as a whole can collectively come up with the science to remove the drugs from the system of Aerosmith, (laughs) is there anything we can't do? I don't know. Is there any mountain we can't
1: climb? Well, they brought in Tim Collins to manage them and...
0: That must have been the guy.
1: He Well, he was kind of the guru yeah. that, that got them all on board to do rehab. Cause he, he wasn't was,
0: lying. No, because by 1990, it's hard to argue that Aerosmith well, wasn't the biggest rock band in the world. Easily.
1: And it he, all
0: starts at this time. F-
1: from what I remember, he came in with kind of an iron fist and just said, listen, you saw what just happened with Run DMC. Look at the opportunity you have here. You can be the biggest band in the world, but you have to put the work in. Right. And you have to get clean, all of you, all at the same time.
0: And And you have to write songs with Desmond Child. Well,
1: that was part of it, too. But then, I don't know if, if you've read Walk This Way, though, it doesn't end well with Tim Collins, which, you know, that's way into the 90s. But Tim Collins like became kind of a control freak about every aspect of their lives. So, you know... Being that way at first to get them off the drugs was smart, but right. then years after they've been off drugs, he's know, he's still for? trying to drive the point home and we're like, any little minor thing, oh, we have to have a meeting about this. you know? Just And I get it. That's they're make, the cash cow, too. Yeah, that's to make so, sure
0: you're still valuable and right. needed to be paid. Yeah, so Job security. They
1: eventually kicked him to the curb because they're like, look, you've done enough. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to give the guy credit. I mean, he turned a, a band that was probably one of the worst druggie bands in history around. Um, and it paid off in spades for everybody.
0: Big time. And so when they come back and they're all cleaned up, they go back into the studio to produce Permanent Vacation. This is the beginning of the end for the classic Aerosmith <laughs> band. Sea change. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Things are a lot different. Yeah, corporate Aerosmith, for sure. Yeah. But again, this was my Aerosmith album. This, this was, is what I got This into was it. the first one that I bought myself. Mm-hmm. If I bought it myself, somebody got it for me. I had it on LP when I was a kid. Yeah. Because I was trying to resist cassette tapes. It was like a buy LPs and then I just make dub cassette tapes and then I don't ever have to worry about if they get wrecked. I can always make a new one. That's true. And so I was still buying LPs back then. God, I was a weird kid. <laughs> and uh I had this one I on LP too. and you know, I liked it then. But then after a while, I was like, I don't really like this era of Aerosmith anymore. It's too poppy, too slick, and I kind of got away from it. But this last week of listening to these four albums, I kind of came back around on Aerosmith's Permanent Vacation a little bit because it's definitely a weird album. And, of course, you got your big hits off of it, which everybody knows.
1: I still say, and I know I'm the ballad guy. Angel is a damn good power ballad. I mean, it, it's probably one of the it most is. well-written power ballads ever.
0: Yeah. it's. I don't know, man. This album's tough. There's songs on – did you pick anything off here? No. You didn't did, pick
1: anything? This off is my least favorite it? album off of the, up from this era. Wow. And there's a lot of filler in my opinion.
0: Okay. Well, here's what I like about it. I like the title track, even though it's weird kind of a the title Buffett, track's good, kind yeah. of a song. It's weird, yeah. I like the song Heart's Done Time. I like
1: how it starts, but then it just meanders forever. It, I don't. It's like an unfinished Ooh, song to me.
0: It's got a good hook to it. I like it. it. Most of it's good. I like the song St. John. No. I think that's it's a weird song. I don't like but it's it. it's got some cool guitars to it. Uh-uh. I dig that. Um, Hangman Jury. Sucks. I like that song, you like too? that song? Yeah, yeah, well, it's got that weird kind of, uh, you know, like uh, Ozark Moton Daredevil's chicken yeah. shucking kind of song. That's why I don't like thing it. Thing at the beginning. But then after it kicks in. It's pretty cool, and yeah, I like it. Not for me. And uh, the Beatles cover, I'm Down. That's
1: my, one of my least favorite Beatles songs, too. Really? Never liked I'm Down.
0: Well, I like the Beatles version. And, and the I'm movie? Late. What and the fuck is that? I like the Aerosmith version. The movie? <laughs> the, I don't know. i never seen that.
1: No, the, the last song. The movie. Oh, I don't know about it that sucks. one. That is weird, and I don't like it. Like it's like, we've run out of stuff to put on this record, so let's put this crap on here.
0: But there is one song on this album that I like, I think, a little bit better than the rest. The one you
1: picked is the one I like from this record.
0: And... What strikes me about this is, you know, this album is full of co-writes with Desmond Child Mm -hmm. and Holly Knight. Oh, yeah. um, Who we know for what they did with Kiss, Mm -hmm. or Four Kiss, or Two Kiss. I don't know. Depends on what you like. I don't really like that stuff. I like the heavier hard rock and stuff. But this is a song that can't be denied. This one was written with Jim Valance, who Kiss fans will know and a million other bands fans will know because he co-wrote so many great tunes over the years with so many different bands. Great writer. And he worked out this one with, uh, with Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. And it's one of those songs where it almost could be done by anybody. Mm-hmm. Like Tina Turner could have took this song. Yeah, and made it a good Tina Turner song, and you know Brian Adams could have took this song and made it a great Brian Adams song, and Paul Stanley could have in- included this song on I Crazy Nights. I was
1: gonna nights. say, and I, it would have been awesome. I can hear a Kiss vibe on this song,
0: totally, and that's what yeah. I think I like about it: the hook, the groove, all of it. It's a, it's really what you'd want if you were trying to come up with a great pop rock song. Yeah, it's very poppy, yes, but it's still got a good hard edge to it. It's Aerosmith taking a song that really could have been a top hit for anybody and definitely making it into an Aerosmith song, and I like it a lot. It's a tune called Magic Touch. That's my only selection off of Permanent Vacation.
1: If, if I was going to pick anything off that album, that would have been the one. Yeah, Obviously, I'd like I. That well.
0: One better than the rest.
1: I mean, honestly, if I'm picking literally, and I'm not trying to ignore singles, Angel would have been on my top five. But I'm not going to play Angel because I know I'm going to get a bunch of tomatoes thrown at me digitally. And people are like, I've heard that song a million times. So right. that's and why that's, I didn't pick it. That's
0: the other hard thing about these, these last two albums out of the 80s with Aerosmith is. You know, for me, I looked at them in in going into the next album, especially some of these songs. It's hard to judge them with a clean slate when you're listening to them and trying to listen to them anew. Because you, I remember myself getting the feeling, same feeling I had with Van Halen back then. You know, when the videos would come on or the song come on the radio, it just make me go, "Mm, I miss the old band. You see,
1: I didn't go through that because I was just getting into
0: these. Yeah. When Dude Looks Like a Lady started feeling overplayed. When Janie's Got a Gun was played till I just wanted to puke and I didn't ever want to hear it. Ragdoll was everywhere. All these songs were huge. Yeah. And it just was like, man, Aerosmith's just not what they used to be, but everybody seems to love them now more than ever. And I couldn't understand it.
1: I, and like, and one thing I'll mention. That this, even the, especially on the singles. They did, this, they did this on singles all the way into the 90s where those damn keyboard horns.
0: Yeah, I hate that. It's Ragdoll's full of them.
1: Ragdoll and per, and Dude Looks Like a Lady. Yeah, and,
0: I don't like that. I
1: hate the sound of those. I didn't like sax the sound offenders. of them then.
0: That's what they are. They're sax offenders. Exactly. <laughs> I don't like that. I can't abide by it.
1: <laughs> I hope they're registered. Um, but yeah, the... Uh, even back in those days when I was just a dumb kid, I didn't like it even then. It's like, on it, my nerves. It so bad. ruins the song. It totally does. And like, Dude Looks Like a Lady is a clever song, written well. Yeah. Ragdoll is one of those that I think I tried to like it at the time just because it was big. But in hindsight, boy, that song sucks.
0: Do you know the story about that song? Ragdoll? When Steven Tyler wrote it, it was called Ragtime. That makes, and that
1: ho- makes more sense. Holly
0: Knight came in and said, you know, it, it would go a lot better with the rest of the song, and it would fit better lyrically yeah. and be more aesthetically pleasing if it was called Ragdoll. But it is
1: a ragtime-style
0: right. vocal. But with the change, <inaudible> that gives her credit for songwriting. Oh, yeah. She learned from Gene and Paul. She, did.
1: <laughs> she learned from Gene and Paul. <laughs> no, that's smart on her part. It I do- was true. I, did lo- I always liked their videos because they always had hot chicks in their videos. Yeah, Ragdoll had a lot of hot chicks in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was after that's, a while that became the only good thing about Aerosmith videos. Yeah, you you knew you were going to have beautiful women Stone
1: and Steven Tyler pepping his daughter out. Yeah, yeah um, Liv Tyler, Liv Tyler. Oh, I
0: love them videos back then. Yeah, we just turned on the volume. We'll save oh, that,
1: save that for our 90s Aerosmith
0: episode. Oh,
1: god, you know, we have we'll to, have to do it eventually. Oh, we'd,
0: we'd have to do 90s and 2000s and do it all the way up oh, to today because I don't think we could each pick five songs. Yeah. I don't even want to think about talking about just push play or music from another dimension or anything like that. Mass amounts of unsubscribe, unsubscribe. But we could do it. It would be painful for us, but, but, yeah, but I, for the people, we would do it.
1: I think permanent vacation is overrated. I've
0: I would say definitely it's overrated. Not At a the great time, album. It was, hmm, it was everywhere
1: because of those singles. Yeah. But when you get outside the singles, it's there's not a lot there. Magic Touch is great, but
0: it's a weird album. There's side some of strange stuff on this record. Yeah.
1: So let's um, again.
0: This is them doing all kinds of other people's songs and having other people lay such heavy influence on their writing. When Stephen Tyler and Joe Perry should just be doing it themselves, but that wasn't going to be successful, and this was. So what yeah. can you do? You know, it's no. This is better than no Aerosmith at all. Well, I mean, for I'm, sure. I'm sure
1: they don't look back negatively on those years. I mean, they made a lot of money. You know, it was. Uh, They've earned a whole lot of new fans from it. So, like, there's, and it's funny, you know, bands have been chasing the Aerosmith formula down for decades because I have to give them credit, even though we may not like the material, 70s, big, 80s, come back completely sounding different, big, 90s, do it again. I mean that's right. even crazier. I know. Is that they got even fucking bigger in the
0: '90s? Oh, with uh, oh god, what was the song? The Armageddon song. I don't want to miss a thing. Massive and like massively horrible. I know, but, but massive. Like, but like as a,
1: from a marketing and business standpoint, you have to tip your hat to them. Oh, for sure. It's like it's insane how
0: any band well that can they survive done. through the '70s, the '80s, the '90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and still be around and relevant today. Yeah,
1: It's crazy. I mean that you know, I, although the last couple of records, then nobody was paying attention.
0: Their fans were no. and They still have. They didn't of fans. sell well though.
1: Like they didn't. There wasn't much going on.
0: I don't think they probably put that much effort behind either. <sighs> well,
1: that would that would help By explain music from another listing. dimension. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, that album sucks. Um, but I don't. I don't know any Aerosmith fan that liked that record. No, no, I don't. I. Can, I mean, I, I'm sure they're out there, but nobody that I know liked it.
0: I no, I didn't like. I didn't like a single song on like, it. No, me neither. And I wanted to.
1: There's like four or five ballads on the damn thing.
0: Really wanted to like it. Yeah, I was, oh, it's, should be, it's supposed to feel cool that Aerosmith's coming out with a new album in this day and age? And no, then you get it in hopes that it's going to be good, and it's just not. Yeah. All but right. this was the beginning of all that. You know, this was Aerosmith stop being Aerosmith and being what everybody else wanted him to be. Yeah. And that goes into the next album.
1: You sound so dejected.
0: I didn't pick anything off Punk.
1: <laughs> well, that's good, because I picked two songs I off knew you of would. it. I
0: knew you would. Yeah, but I, I, I would argue... That's ar- why I left it.
1: I would argue that I picked the two songs you would like the most off of I
0: it. agree, yeah. Because so, the rest of it totally sucks. Oh, man.
1: You're too high. I don't
0: know. There's... Let me see. What? Go ahead and pick one of your songs and let me look <laughs> at this again and see if there's anything in here I like.
1: I think what I picked you'll like, but... Um,
0: all right, so Pump it comes out September of
1: '89, produced by Bruce Fairbairn. Of course, for our Kiss fans, they'll remember him from producing Psycho Circus. Um, Bruce Fairbairn, probably not the greatest producer, but always got good sounds out of the instruments. I'll give him that. Every album that he's done sounds good. Um, over seven million in sales to date for this record. Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of sales. The singles are obviously still very well known to this day. I still love what it takes and loving an elevator. At least musically, I think the the lyrics on that one are kind of lame. But, but music like Joe, well, I like Joey Kramer's drum part on Loving an Elevator. Oh, yeah, I'll, that, I'll get that specific. Yeah, definitely. His drum part is phenomenal.
0: And that goes without saying, I think. And you talk about Aerosmith. Everybody always talks about Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, but the rest of the band is freaking awesome. They're
1: great musicians and. um and I what
0: love, I love Brad Whitford.
1: Me too. And and What It Takes is a great rock and roll ballad. I think that's one of the better ones from that era. And you can tell that then it just it has a good vibe to it. But there's two songs on this record that I think stand out as some of their best work from this time and have a little bit of that old throwback sound. The first one is the album opener Young Lust. <laughs> The production makes it sound more modern but right but as a song i think they they could have done that one back in the day it's got the same vibe
0: i remember when the video for the other side came out and how that was played constantly all the time and i think that was another part of again not really caring for this era of aerosmith is because it felt so forced upon me yeah and the other side's not really a terrible song
1: it's got those damn horns on but it's it
0: again it's got yeah i mean loving an elevator's got it too they yeah. all got it
1: yeah they use it a lot. I think the two songs I picked are the two songs that don't have it.
0: That's I think
1: that's it. <laughs> and obviously, this album was fucking massive.
0: And I don't ever need to hear Janie's Got a Gun again.
1: No, that's one of the most overplayed songs of all time. Uh uh-huh. Has to be. I remember seeing. Still is to this
0: day. I mean, yeah, that's yeah it still gets played.
1: Yeah. Um, I remember seeing them on uh, Saturday Night Live when this came out. Yeah, and
0: and that's a sign of success right there. Yeah, if you're if you are on Saturday Night, Live. yeah, because that would have been. Yeah, that would have Eight, been early 90s. 90,
1: yeah.
0: And they were on Wayne's World. Yeah. They were. Uh, With
1: Tom Hanks, where Tom Hanks was playing the roadie. That's right. Yeah. It's check ciblets. one. Check one. Siblets. Siblets. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne's World, something else that hasn't aged well. Comes off really corny when you watch it now.
0: It just reminds me of us, kind of.
3: <laughs> don't,
1: don't say
0: that. <laughs> Podcasters in general?
1: Yeah, pretty okay. much. I mean, it is very similar to Wayne's World. Yeah. but um, I like Wayne's World. But I remember their live performance on SNL. They did Janie's Got a Gun, which is like, we were all kind of sick of that. And then they did, was it Monkey on My Back was the other song? It was like a B-side. Yeah. And it wasn't very good either. Um, but they just, I don't know, man. They, They're playing other people's songs. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what it boils down to. And They're
0: like a country band now.
1: Well, almost like a pop star, yeah. you know, because pop stars typically have stuff written for them and... And Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, they had an image. Like they, they fit like a glove to the hairband era. They, yeah, they were did. older, oh, yeah. but they could still
0: pull off the look. Because they, they inspired it. They inspired all. it. Yeah. So. Aerosmith and Van Halen probably have more responsibility for the Sunset Strip oh, yeah. 80s glam movement than any other bands. Kiss a little bit, yeah. A little, but yeah. But not but more as much as those, those bands. two bands, especially yeah. Aerosmith.
1: Yeah, Aerosmith and Van Halen, I, you could probably credit them with the yep. bulk of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they were fucking everywhere. I mean, I you I got sick of Aerosmith a little bit during this yeah, time. Yeah, me too. And it, was just and it would only get already. worse
0: coming into the 90s. Yeah,
1: and then Get a Grip came out and they went even higher, um, which we won't get into that today. But
0: uh, Thank goodness.
1: But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's... It's, it's funny, you know, we, you talked about, you know, in like a lamb, out like a lion. And, like, is there any, there's not that many bands where to start a decade sounding one way and to finish it sounding another. Right. I mean, there was a, a total difference.
0: Yeah. I don't know, man. It's like you start out at the beginning of the 80s. It's almost between the end of the 70s and the beginning of the 80s, it's almost like Aerosmith's blackout era oh totally but this episode added a unique perspective because you've seen how the band started out so low very low and then you know found their way back to success and by 1990 they're the biggest band in the world top of the fucking world yeah
1: you couldn't escape them they were everywhere they were just, mm-hmm. and like as big as Guns and we remember Guns and Roses being at that time. Aerosmith was every bit as big,
0: maybe bigger. That was something else I thought was kind of funny. So after Permanent Vacation, they're all cleaned up. They're off drugs, right? Mm-hmm. They send them out on tour with Guns and Roses. Yeah, <laughs> great idea.
1: We're gonna put you guys
0: to the test. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I just when you were talking yeah. about their guru, I was thinking. I think you guys are ready but I don't know. There's only one way to find out (laughs) for sure. You're going on tour with Guns N' Roses, and you're not going to do drugs with them.
1: That's brutal. That is brutal. Yeah. The ultimate trial by fire.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If your sobriety can survive that, you're good. Yeah. You are golden.
1: But yeah, so so you were already a fan, so you you didn't really enjoy the the change.
0: I had aunts and uncles that had the older stuff. Were I they had, like, what the fuck? I had the cassette tape of <laughs> Aerosmith's Greatest Hits, the one with the red cover with half. Oh, I was going to mention
1: that it. that came out in 1980. Yeah, and it didn't do jack shit on the charts. But then by the end of the decade, it had sold fucking millions. Right, I owned it. As,
0: yeah, because as the Aerosmith, because everyone bands, got into them, they're thinking this is a new band. Yeah. That Goes back to, oh, well, I want to check out their other great Oh, I was hits. one of those people. And I was one of them too. Mm-hmm. And that was my Aerosmith, was that cassette. Tape. I wore that fucking cassette Me out. Me too. Yeah. I didn't want to listen to this stuff. I wanted to listen to that. Well, they're also
1: like, with, like I was with Kiss. It was like, Cause I was like I said at the time I was getting into them it was all new to me right so I was like oh this is great and then I'm like oh there's all this other stuff and right. then I'm like wow then,
0: this is even better and you then know? you get to go back and discover stuff like rock in a Hard Place and Done with Mirrors and to you it's a new album absolutely to me it was a new album
1: it was you a know? great time to to be a rock and roll fan definitely you know I know a lot of some of the older guys say oh I was there in the 70s to see bands and that's great too but it was it was every bit as cool to be a fan in the 80s. And get so, that stuff.
0: I guess, you know, this was pretty cool today. Yeah. It was fun to look at this era of Aerosmith because I think it's often overlooked. Everybody looks at once they were huge again or once they were huge in the 70s at one time. Mm-hmm. You know, and this little period in here, this decade, is kind of overlooked. And so it was fun to shine some light on that today.
1: I think that our picks are some of the best stuff you'll find from that era. So. I'm assuming some of you guys may have not even given a shot to some of these records because you've heard the singles a million times. So maybe you picked up something new that you like. Um, obviously, we want to hear from you, so go on the Facebook page in the comments section for this post and list what What are your top five Aerosmith songs of the
0: '80s? It'll be interesting yeah. to see
1: what you guys say.
0: Or maybe take these four albums and put them in order one, two, three, through four, and you know, let us know how you rank them. I know I definitely go "Done with Mirrors," "Rocking a Hard Place," "Permanent Vacation," and lastly, "Pump."
1: I think our ten our five picks together would make one hell of an album.
0: I would think so, too. I think that's exactly <laughs> like what we did here. The we, lost Aerosmith Yeah, Yeah, we just brought you the best of the 80s yeah. from Aerosmith. On one that's, record. That's exactly what we intended to do. Um, Talked to Cobras and Fire, and I am required to say that right now, time is running out in 2019 to help Wikipedia, their nonprofit, and they don't have salespeople. They depend on donations, and if you could only give $2.75, the price of your Wednesday coffee... Wikipedia could keep thriving. Thank you. Oh, wow. It's a little public service announcement right now. Well, we owe we. Is on their seasonal pledge drive, you know, and so since we lean on Wikipedia so We owe much,
1: them a lot more than $2.75. <laughs> <laughs> we should pony up a lot more than that.
0: Damn it all. Sometimes Wikipedia <laughs> really is the best source. It is the best I source. I try to look up some Aerosmith stuff, and it's like psh, there ain't. it ain't nearly as good as what Wikipedia's got. So
1: I was tr- going to go to the library and go through microfiche, but I decided, yeah. fuck it. I'll just go I, to Wikipedia.
0: Chris told me last weekend we were doing this show and I didn't have the time to reread the book so yeah we got we can only do what we can do and we don't always have an expert on hand you know, I kind of wish we had an expert today to really give us the, the in depth details. But today we just wanted to concentrate on the music yeah. and how it affected us at the time, and in retrospect. And I think we did that.
1: So I'll play out with our last song. A little bit of information on this song. This is the other of the two good songs from this record, or two great songs from this record. This song is called "Fine," which stands for Fucked Up, Insecure, Neurotic, and Emotional. Okay. And that was what they. And th- this song was what the band wanted. This title was what the band wanted to call the record. And the, and John Collodner, who was the A and R guy, that was kind of like he looked like John Lennon or Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's like, ah, uh, fuck no, you're not going to do that. So because he was all we about tra- protecting their image, we
0: are trying to position you to skyrocket your ass to the moon. Yeah. You will not sabotage this.
1: So they were gonna, they were wanting to name the album fine, but they didn't do it. And uh, you will
0: play the songs we tell you to play. <laughs> we will bring them to you, written by other artists. You will play them. You will do what we tell tell you to do exactly, and you will be the greatest stars. Of the nineties.
1: But the lyrics on this are all Steven Tyler, with great lines like uh, she's got the cracker jack, but all I want's the prize. <laughs> which is pure Steven Tyler, which is what I love about the guy.
0: Oh man, such a time capsule.
1: So here is F-I-N-E from Pump, and we'll see you next week.
3: See ya. Um.